So Money, Episode 83, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Welcome to our Ask Farnoosh Weekend Edition. It is Saturday, April 4th. Happy Passover Easter weekend. I'm still working, but I'm happy to be here. We've got lots of fantastic questions. I want to first kick off our Saturday episode, as I always do, with a fantastic review left on iTunes. This person is going to receive a free 15-minute money session with me. Uh, Here we go. This review was left by Steph Wash. She says, I sold my car after two weeks of listening to your podcast. Seriously? Well, I guess uh, you're welcome. She says, I realized there is a way out of debt and you have to change the way you think about money and you help me with that. So thank you for the advice and push to my road to financial freedom. Steph, thank you for listening. I'm so glad this show is encouraging you. I hope you have another type of transportation to work uh, and that this hasn't been a total uh, cramp to your style selling your car. But um, I'm happy to hear that you made uh, a decision that sounds like it's saved you a lot of money. And uh, if I helped you in that way, I am... uh, I'm happy to hear it. So let's move on now to our questions. So many questions, actually. I think the more I do this show, of course, more people learn. More people are learning about the Ask Farnoosh tool. And as I've been saying, you know, I want to try to answer your question that weekend. I'm going to have to transfer some questions to the following weekend, maybe even the following following weekend. So please be patient. Um, please tune in. If you don't hear me answering your question on this episode, chances are it's going to be either tomorrow or the next weekend or the next weekend. But I will get to it. Um, And so I I thank you for your patience in advance. Kazi writes in and says, Hey, Farnoosh, Tony Robbins' Money Master the Game is a good resource for Americans. Do you have any resources or books just as good but for Canadians? Thank you. Well, you know, a lot of my listeners are Canadian, in fact, and I did a little research and uh, I found that uh, Gail Val Oxlade is kind of like the Susie Orman of Canada, uh, her last name is spelled O-X-L-A-D-E, and her website is gailvaloxlade.com. She's actually quite popular in the States here, too. She has a show, a couple shows on CNBC. Uh, she's a very colorful, dynamic, interesting, smart uh, advice giver in the space of money. And she is Canadian, as a matter of fact. So uh, she's got a book called Money Rules, uh, which I'm sure is wonderful. It's popular uh, as she is. So check her out. And then I also just did a plain Google search of Canada and financial blogs, and there's a ton of resources. So it's just a matter of kind of taking a look around the internet. There's a lot of great bloggers and financial writers that are from Canada that probably specialize in Canada-specific money advice. So great question. I'll keep an eye out um, for you if anything else comes across, but uh, definitely check out Gail, Gail Val Oxlade. Sandy writes in and says, my son is able to obtain full or nearly full paid two and four year scholarships that are not his top choice. He was accepted at all of his top choices, but each come with a 15 or $20,000 out of pocket each year cost after scholarships. 
He will participate in athletics, but he has not received any money for athletics from his chosen schools. We do not qualify for any financial aid. My ex feels he should go wherever he wants so he can participate in a desirable athletic program, but I feel it is financially irresponsible for a student to take on so much debt. Your thoughts? He's majoring in finance. Happy face. Well, I majored in finance as well, Sandy, and I, I, I will say this, you know, relative to other degrees, you get a better return on your investment when you major in a business degree or business major like finance, accounting, even better engineering. A rule of thumb for you and everybody listening that I always repeat uh, when parents and kids ask about, you know, how much is too much when borrowing for school? And I say, you know, take your projected first year salary and that is a good threshold. You don't want to go above that in terms of loans. So if your son is majoring in finance, I would say with confidence that assuming the job market is healthy when he graduates, again, I don't know, but let's say he graduates tomorrow with a degree in finance, he would probably have uh, some good offerings, assuming also that he did well in his degree. And college graduates, on average, regardless of their major, are earning anywhere from forty to $45,000 a year. But when you major in finance or accounting, you have a better chance of making more. And I would say if, even if you're in a city like Boston or New York or LA, you could make closer to $60,000 a year, maybe even more. But I would say uh, conservatively, you could make between fifty dollars and $60,000 in finance. Uh, so if it is going to cost him, let's say, $15,000 a year in loans, then that times four is about sixty, dollars which is around, right around what he would potentially earn. And in my book, that's not horrible. You know, it's not ideal by any stretch, but it's not the worst case scenario. And I think it's, it's, a, it's an amount that, assuming he gets a job and he's smart with his other expenses, he's not you know, living lavishly, he could make that payment uh, comfortably. He should at least be able to make that payment comfortably. But you know, that said, a two or four year scholarship is really hard to pass up. And I would strongly encourage you to sit down with him and ask him to rethink those dream schools and put things in perspective for him. I think you should really do the math and show him, hey, if you take out a $60,000 loan or an $80,000 loan, this is what you're going to owe every single month for the next 10 years. And this is how much you might make. And this is what you're going to keep after taxes. Like really go through the math with him and show the budget and say, you know, let's say you're going to pay this much in rent and this much in food, this much in housing, this much in uh, gas and uh, an occasional, you know, sporting event or, you know, I don't know, a vacation. This is all that's left. And then on top of that, you got to pay student loans of, say, $600, $800 a month for the next 10 years. Uh, that can be pretty sobering, even for an 18 or 19-year-old who doesn't have a lot of experience with money. But I think it's really important to just lay out the facts. And your husband might want to join in on that conversation because it sounds like he's a little in the dark as well. I mean, just saying a blanket statement like, you should just go where there's a good athletic program is not a very thoughtful statement. And if he's actually footing the bill, he might have a different opinion. I think it's really important to walk your son through the financial reality of what it's like to take out those loans and what it's going to mean for him when he graduates and that it is all on him to pay it back. Uh, this is the sort of math that all parents should do with their children. It's not happening enough. And I, I, I agree with you. I think it's financially irresponsible to go to a school that requires you to borrow more than you can afford to pay back. Uh, but if you can stick to finance and land a job making 60000 a year, and that's a, you know, right now, 
the odds of that look pretty good. But, you know, he's not graduating for another four years. I have no idea what's going to happen to the economy in four years. If he really wants to play it safe and secure and conservative, he would go to a school where he's going to get the most bang for his buck. He's going to get those scholarships to apply, and he will be able to graduate with as little debt as possible. So that's that's my two cents. You know, I, I would really encourage you to sit down with your son and have a heart to heart and really show the numbers and talk about you know what's the reality ahead, and um, maybe you know make a deal with him. Say if you don't go to these schools, you know. We, we and your father and I might save you know five thousand dollars a year for you, so that when you graduate, you'll be you'll have a little nest egg to work from, and that might be compelling. Like I know a lot of parents say, go to the state school, and we'll get you a car instead, which is a lot cheaper than you know taking out sixty, eighty, sometimes six figures in loans. So maybe you can create some sort of incentive for him to uh, to realize that the value in not getting into debt. Shannon writes and she says, Hey Farnoosh, I'm 30 years old and I plan to start a family with my husband. I'm enrolled in a mandatory retirement plan that matches the contributions taken from my paycheck. I have some extra money each month and no debt, just a mortgage, with the option to add a voluntary retirement program. The options are 403B, Roth 403B, which is the best option for me. Also, my job offers FMLA, which is uh, the Family Medical Leave Act, for maternity leave, 12 weeks, no pay, what is your advice for new moms and maternity leave? Would signing up for short-term disability be smart if I want more than 12 weeks and pay? Well, I want to answer your first question here, uh, which is which, how should you uh, spend your extra money every month in, in the form of a retirement account? And I like the, the Roth 403B simply because it's another way to diversify your investment approach. I've talked about this earlier on the show where, you know, there's a few ways to diversify. There's diversification within your portfolio where you've got a variety of asset classes, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, uh, cash, and uh, fixed income. But then also, you know, the way that you're investing in retirement in terms of the, um, the vehicles. So there's the 401k, which a lot of us have access to through work, and those contributions are tax deductible today, meaning we save money on our taxes today, although the withdrawals in retirement will be taxed. Then there's the Roth individual retirement account or the Roth 401k or the Roth 403, which is a relatively new vehicle. And I like it because with the Roth aspect, you get to um, save on taxes in the future, which is different than the 401k, the traditional 401k or a traditional IRA where you pay taxes on those withdrawals in the future. With a Roth IRA, a Roth 401k, 403b, you get to withdraw the money tax-free, which is just a nice way to diversify your tax exposure down the road. Uh, so for that reason, I like the uh, the Roth uh, hybrid. Now you ask also, what should you do as an expecting parent in terms of being financially prepared and taking time off from work? You know, it really stinks that your company doesn't offer some kind of paid maternity leave. I think they're pretty antiquated with that. I mean, even, you know, most companies I think offer something like, you know, a week or two of paid leave. That's just pathetic that your company, and by the way, just not to be confused, FMLA is a federal law and companies um, who do not provide any sort of paid leave, that's where FMLA comes in to help. Although it's not paid leave, it secures your job, saying basically you can leave for 12 weeks, 
take care of your baby, get better, get healed, uh, come back to work, your job is still there after three months. Um, unfortunately, you won't be paid during that time unless your company offers it. But FMLA is something that is there that it's not that companies offer this. It's like a, it's a, you know, a state program. Um, FMLA is a state program. And so, um, and in some states, it's actually paid leave, like New Jersey, but in most states, it's not. I would say that um, short-term disability is an option. Some new moms do take advantage of that if they want to be home longer. But here's what I want to tell you woman to woman, okay, mom to mom. I sense that your company does not really want you to take a lot of time off. I mean, they're not even offering you a simple week of paid leave. They're saying, you can leave but it'll be on your own dime. You can come back in 12 weeks because it lost SO, but it's not something that we really, you know, care to really support further, which is really unfortunate. The culture there doesn't seem to be so supportive. So keep that in mind as you weigh the pros and cons of staying home longer than 12 weeks. And, you know, the reality is, unfortunately, that there are still office cultures out there that don't appreciate, don't support working parents and the responsibilities the parents may have at home. Uh, Cheryl Sandberg writes in Lean In that women's average annual earnings drop by 20% if they're out of the workforce for just one year. Now, it doesn't sound like you want to take a whole year off, but just keep that in mind. If you're going to come back to work and there's going to be some resentment that you took more than three months off, if that's something that you're concerned about, that that might be a possibility, you know, you might want to not take too much time off if you want to protect your job or if you at least want to protect the responsibilities and your income. What you want to do in the meantime to protect your own assets and to prepare best for being a parent is to save as much as you can for a year. So I actually think that if you have some money left over at the end of the month, rather than opening up another retirement account, if you're fully maximizing your 401k at work or your 403b at work, um, and you're doing already a good job with retirement, I would take the next year to really save as much as possible in a separate savings account, call it baby fund. Because as a mom, I will tell you, there are a number of expenses that you're just not going to anticipate that having that reserve, having that emergency account is going to be just a very, very relieving. You're going to be able to sleep better at night. And so that's what I would do in the meantime. Good luck. Last but not least, we have a question here from Keon. Keon says that... Uh, he recently went on an interview and everything went well until an awkward salary discussion with HR. He says, she asked about my salary history. I responded that I wasn't comfortable sharing the specifics, but rather seeking positions within a range. She continued to bully me into disclosing a number. I again refused. She angrily responded, I was required to disclose and was very persistent despite my discomfort, even probing about if I had equity at my last job and its current valuation. Is that even legal? What to do in the future situation? Many thanks in advance. Well, Keon, I'm glad you're out of that situation. Sounds like she's a nightmare. She was completely out of bounds. I'm not sure if it was illegal for her to ask you so persistently. Uh, I know that as an employee somewhere where you might be privy to some information like valuation, and that's not necessarily public information, you don't want to be disclosing that. Um, so it, it's good for you for keeping... Uh, your information to yourself. And, you know, this is unfortunately a reality for a lot of people who go on interviews. It's happened to me, in fact, where you get asked, you know, how much are you making? They sometimes ask it right on the application form. And 
frankly, this is not something that you are required to disclose. And in fact, it's recommended against that you disclose this, at least in the very beginning. And you want what you want to do is really create a dialogue around this. So if someone asks you how much do you make or what was your salary or what do you want to make, you want to throw back a question and say, well, actually, what's... um." What are you looking to invest in this position? What is the salary range that you had in mind? And there's actually a really great article on money.com about this very issue written by Penelope Trunk. She's the founder of brazencareerist.com, which is a fantastic website for all sorts of career help that's really modern and cutting edge and discusses a lot of this awkward stuff. And Penelope wrote an article for money.com that is basically an answer to your question. And she gives a word-for-word response that everyone should dictate and rehearse and dictate in the event that they're in an interview and they get asked, how much do you wanna make or what's your current salary? She says, say this, quote, this position is not exactly the same as my last job. So let's discuss what my responsibilities would be here and then determine a fair salary for this job, end quote. I think that's perfect. I think uh, what she says is that this is a sentence that is really hard to argue with, you know, because the words that you use here are pretty amicable. You're using the words fair and responsibilities. And so in effect, you're earning the respect of the interviewer. And I wouldn't say in the future a word that you use, which was uncomfortable. You know, you don't want to ever show weakness in the interview. You never want to show that you're uncomfortable or that you're feeling not at ease. So instead, show confidence and show that you want to have a conversation about this, but not, you know, not get to the bottom line just yet. And then Penelope says, if the person persists and wasn't satisfied with that initial throwback, as this, as was the case with your interviewer, your hostile interviewer, she says, say this, I'd appreciate it if you could make me an offer based on whatever you have budgeted for this position, and we can go from there. This is a pretty direct response, she says. So using words like appreciate focuses on drawing out the interviewer's better qualities instead of her tougher side. So I think this is a fantastic approach. And and unfortunately, like I said, this is not uncommon, but you gotta stick to your guns and try to encourage the employer, the interviewer, to talk about numbers before you do. Because what you don't wanna happen is you say, well, I was making $50,000 at my last job, and maybe they budgeted $100,000 $100,000 for this position or $75,000 for this position. Guess what? Now that they know that you're coming from 50K, they might offer you 55, 53. So that is why you don't want to reveal your numbers. They might actually end up lowballing you if you give a number that is below what they were planning to pay you. So good luck. I'm glad you're out of that situation. I hope you reported her because she should not be interviewing people. She should not be let out of the house. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right, everyone, that is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to Ask Farnoosh this Saturday, April 4th. Hope you're having a great Passover or Easter weekend, or if you don't celebrate anything, like I don't really celebrate anything. I'm just enjoying the beautiful sun here in Brooklyn with my family. And I apologize, this originally cut off at 14 minutes for some reason. I have no idea. A listener actually emailed me and said, hey, uh, something's wrong with your podcast. I think I it's either me or it's you. I can't get past 14 minutes, and I... I got a little worried, so I, he was right. I definitely, for some reason, uploaded this incorrectly, so I apologize. I re-recorded the last few minutes of this. So hope that didn't uh, disappoint you too much. Thanks for tuning in. Hope to see you back here tomorrow. In the meantime, hope your day is so money. Money.